We're doing Judges chapter 8 today. The men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you treated us this way, that you didn't call us when you went to fight with Midian? They rebuked him sharply. And he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Isn't the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he said that. Gideon came to the Jordan and passed over. He and the three hundred men who were with him, faint yet pursuing. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are faint. And I am pursuing after Zebar and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. The princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, Therefore, when Yahweh has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. He went up there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. He spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the army of the children of the east. For there fell 120,000 men who drew sword. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in tents on the east of Nobar and Jogbahar, and struck the army, for the army felt secure. Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them. He took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and confused all the army. Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle from the ascent of Heres. He caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and inquired of him. And he described for him the princes of Sukkoth and its elders, 77 men. He came to the men of Sukkoth and said, See, Zeba and Zalmunna, concerning whom you taunted me, saying, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? He took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. He broke down the tower of Penuel, and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, They were like you. They all resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As Yahweh lives, if you had not saved them alive, I would not kill you. If you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. He said to Jetha his firstborn, Get up and kill them. But the youth didn't draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was yet a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, You rise and fall on us, for as the man is, so is his strength. Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescents that were on their camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your son's son also, for you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, but Yahweh shall rule over you. Gideon said to them, I do have a request that you would each give me the earrings of his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They answered, We will willingly give them. They spread a garment and every man threw the earrings of his plunder into it. 
The weight of the gold and earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, in addition to the crescents and the pendants and the purple clothing that was on the kings of Midian, and in addition to their chains that were around their camels' necks. Gideon made an ephod out of it and put it in Ophrah, his city. Then all of Israel played the prostitute with it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his house. So Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, and they lifted up their heads no more, and the land had rest forty years in the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went out and lived in his own house. Gideon had seventy sons conceived from his body, for he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and named him Abimelech. Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abizrites. As soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel turned again and played the prostitute following the Baals and made Baal Berith their god. The children of Israel didn't remember Yahweh their god, who had delivered them out of the hand of all their enemies on every side. Neither did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had shown to Israel. There's actually a lot in this chapter, and probably I should have given you the context before we read the chapter, because it was one of those chapters that the context would have been helpful before. <laughs> but um, the chapter comes, this chapter comes right after Gideon has just defeated the Midianites. So the thing happens with the 300 men, the Midianites are terrified, they start fighting each other, and lots are getting killed. Then the armies of Israel come in and they're attacking and they're pursuing the Midianites all the way to the Jordan River. They're fleeing across the Jordan to the east, which is where they're from. And so now in this chapter, Gideon is following uh, to get them to basically try to finish them off. And um, he gets word from the tribe of Ephraim saying, why didn't you call us to be a part of this battle? Now, um, we, we don't really know the details of all the story, but what we've got here is a little bit of jealousy going on <laughs> between the tribes. Ephraim was one of the strong tribes. Judah was one of the strong tribes. It was the strongest tribe, but Ephraim was, the, was one of the strong tribes, and it was, the, it was the strongest of the children of Joseph. Joseph had two sons. Manasseh was the oldest, and Ephraim was the second, and Ephraim was the one that became the stronger one. And um, there seems to be this thing that goes on for hundreds of years where Ephraim is like proud. And of course Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, the one who led the campaign to conquer the land. So these Ephraimites are jealous and they send word to uh, Gideon, why didn't you call us to be a part of this? You know, so when the battle is on, they're nowhere to be seen but when the battle is, 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 you know, when all the great things are done, now it's, it's not quite done. They're still going to pursue the remaining two kings over the river, which we'll talk about in a minute. But now that the bulk of the work has been done, there's this message that comes, why weren't we allowed to be involved? Well, they were allowed to be involved. Why are they assuming they're not allowed to be involved? And there's a, a passage elsewhere that says, you know, talks about the Lord's troops being willing in the day of battle. Well, you know, well, where were they in the day of the battle? But they're jealous. And um, it, we, this is going to appear again in a couple more chapters where these Ephraimites are going to do the exact same trick. It's going to backfire on them when we get to that. But here, 
they're jealous, and Gideon's just very diplomatic, and he says, look, you've had far greater victories than me. <laughs> Didn't you defeat these other two kings, you know, Zorob and Zeb? You know, basically he's saying, your little pinky is stronger than, you know, than all of me, you know. You know, isn't the, the, the threshing of Ephraim mightier than the, the grapes of Abiezer? Abiezer was his own family. And he, he's basically saying diplomatic things like, you guys are wonderful. You've done far more important things than I could ever do. Why are you worried about not being involved in this little thing? And after Gideon does all this diplomatic stuff, they're, they're appeased and they leave him alone. But there's a real pride issue there and it's going to appear again in a few chapters time. And, and having said that, this, this this type of thing actually happens in the body of Christ too, where you have you might say have a congregation in a city that does something really great, does it for the Lord. You know, they might say uh, start a school, or they might start a ministry feeding the poor, and or they might start a second service, and and it starts going really well, and they start attracting people, and the church starts growing, and you have some other church in the city that looks at it and judges it, and thinks um, you know looks down on them as though that you're nothing and we're everything and you know that school should be ours or you know that ministry should be ours you know we had that idea first or and people say and think all the most ridiculous sorts of things it all comes from pride it's not godly at all and what the Ephraimites should have done was acknowledge that, that they were one nation under God and should have said thank God he's delivered us from the Midianites doesn't matter if I do it or you do it doesn't matter who does it what matters is that the Lord has done it. So anyway, this type of thing is a problem in the body of Christ, just like it was a problem back here in the book of Judges. And the Ephraimites are going to cop it in the neck when this same thing appears in a few more chapters' time. So anyway, Gideon moves on, and he's chasing these final... He's trying to mop up the Midianites. There's 15,000 soldiers left. They've gone across the river, and they're camped at a place called Karkor, and it says there, we just read it, that the army felt secure. In other words, they must have thought, we've gotten back to our part of the world now, in our territory, and they're not going to follow us here, and we're safe, and they relaxed. And so Gideon attacks them there and finishes them off. But on the way to attack them, he goes through these couple of cities. He goes through Sukkoth, and they're tired. They've been chasing, and they're weary, and they're hungry, and they ask the city of Sukkoth to help them. But the people of Sukkoth don't want to help them. Now, and then the same thing happens at Penuel. Now, Sukkoth, um, I looked these up. Sukkoth's a place um, where Jacob, where is it? Let me find us. We've done the book of Genesis, and we covered this in chapter 33. It's a place where Jacob set up shelters for cattle there, and the word Sukkoth means shelters. And also, every year, you know, the three great feasts in the book of Leviticus, well, one of them is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called Sukkoth, because it's from the word shelters. So it's, Sukkoth is a, is a word that means lots of things. It's also one of the places when they were coming out of Egypt, they stopped at 30-something different places, and one of those places was called Sukkoth. So there you go. Uh, it's, it, but anyway, the point is that the Israelites that live there didn't want to help Gideon. And you'd, say, you'd have to think, well, why? Why didn't they want to help? Well, this is why. Because Sukkoth and Penuel, both of these cities were on the east side of the Jordan. They were on the same side as the Jordan as where all the Midianites were. And so they were probably thinking, we're just assuming, that they wanted to hedge their bets. They were thinking, hmm, 
What if Gideon doesn't actually defeat the Midianites and we and he, he goes back to his side and we're stuck over here with the Midianites? That'd be a tricky position to be in, having helped. So they're hedging their bets. They're basically saying to Gideon, do you have Zalmunna and, you know, uh, what's his name? The t names of the two kings. They've got these interesting names that start with Z, like Zeb and Zorab and Zalmunna. They said, do you have these two kings with you? And... Um, so they're basically trying to find out what's the situation here. When they find out the battle's not over, they're saying, no, we're not going to feed you. Well, Gideon gets wild and says he's going to come back and take care of this, and he does. So what happens is after Gideon's gone and he's finished off the army, the army felt secure, so they weren't ready. So when the attack came, it was un unsuspected. They weren't expecting it. They defeat those um, last two kings and they kill them, and the, the Midianite threat is completely put away. When Gideon comes back, he visits these two towns of Penuel and Sukkoth, and he puts all the leaders to death. He punishes them. He tears down the tower of Penuel. It seems really like revengeful and retrospective. It seems kind of unlike something that an Israelite would do to another Israelite city. Um, and maybe they should, maybe he shouldn't have done that. But in there is a spiritual lesson for us about hedging our bets. <laughs> you know, you're serving the Lord. But you're in the world, and all around you, you you know, you go to work. You want to be a Christian, but you know all the people around you at work are non-believers, and and so you hedge your bets. <laughs> you decide you're not going to act like a full Christian. You're going to kind of be like a, a you know, you're going to be more like the world than like the church, and you're going to see how things turn out. Well, hedging your bets doesn't. The lesson we learn here in this chapter is that if you hedge your bets between the Lord and the devil, you end up on the devil's side. And so we, we learn from the people of Sukkoth and the people of Penuel, go on the Lord's side. It's risky. Yes, of course it's risky. Those people would have had to take a risk to be on the Lord's side. But they were on the Lord's side. They were supposed to be in the, a part of Israel. They should have sided with what the Lord was doing, but they didn't. And as a result... The punishment that came back upon them is an illustration to us all. And then at the end of the chapter, we finally realize that Gideon had his weaknesses too. They came to Gideon and they said, rule over us. And they said, and have your sons rule after us, over, uh, have your sons rule over us after you. And then Gideon says, I will not rule over you and my sons will not rule over you. And that, that statement there was good because that's what the Lord had said. The Lord had said he was going to be their king and their ruler. But it also that statement also turned out to be a prophecy because later on, one of Gideon's sons, I think it's in the next chapter, he's going to try to be their ruler and it's going to fail miserably. Gideon actually, even though he's just answering a question, he's actually prophesying what is going to happen as well. But then after he refuses to be the king, he does the dumbest thing. He says to them all, give me all an earring from your plunder. And he gets 1,700 shekels of gold and he makes an ephod out of it, which is like the full set of clothing that the priest would wear. And he, he set that up in Ophrah where he lived. And people, the, the Bible says that Israel prostituted themselves there. And it was a snare to Gideon and his family. So even though he was so clear that God had to be their ruler, he did the dumbest thing in, in deciding that he was going to take on a role of priest. So dumb. And um, this is also a mistake that Christians make, is they go beyond what God has given them. 
And so there are people that are called to do various things. It's amazing what things pe people are called to do. We met this man once that he stayed at our house when I was a child and the Lord had called him to walk around the whole of Australia carrying a cross on his shoulder. And um, it took him a long, long time. And well, that's just the strangest thing, but the Lord called him to do that. And the Lord calls people to do weird things, but the Lord also calls people to do things that are, that are more regular and more ordinary. But sometimes people aspire to things that the Lord has not called them to be. So the Lord called Gideon to be a judge, but he did not call him to be a king or a priest. And he was clear about not being the king, but he aspired to be a priest. And it says it became a snare to his family, and it became, and all of Israel prostituted it, prostituted themselves to it. So this chapter teaches us, first of all, that there is danger in not trusting our spiritual leaders. You think about Ephraim. He, they should have, the tribe of Ephraim should have trusted Gideon and celebrated in his success and not fought against him. And the second danger is there's a danger in spiritual leadership of being proud, which is what happened to Gideon, and he ended up aspiring to things that God had not called him to. This chapter in particular, there was so much in it, and I feel like I've hardly said anything about what's in here. But the Bible is a book like this. Jordan Peterson, a modern professor, he's a professor at the University of Toronto, he said that the Bible is the most hyperlinked book in the world. Now, hyperlink is what we, they're those things we talk about that are on the internet. You click, it's a link, and it goes to some other place. That's a hyperlink. Well, he said that the Bible was the most hyperlinked book in the world. There's so many things that connect to so many other things, and you can study it at multiple levels. When I prepare these videos, I generally only spend about one hour per chapter, like understanding it, seeing what other connections there are in the Bible, and I, re I always find much more than what I can share. And this chapter is loaded. It's loaded with symbolic meanings of names. It's loaded with meanings in numbers, in the numbers of things, like the 77 elders of Sukkoth. And, you and these numbers, they appear in other places in the Bible. And so the Bible is a book that you can study in depth. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a picture of, of God to us, or of Jesus to us, in that the more you look into him, the more you find. And this chapter really illustrates that well. Even though I brought out a few basic points, this chapter, like all of the Bible, is just so deep. So Father, we ask today that we would be given grace to plumb the depths of Christ. Help us not to become proud as Gideon was, or proud like the tribe of Ephraim was, and uh, help us not to go beyond what you've given us, but help us to completely fulfill what you've given us, and help us most of all to look into the eyes of Christ and find what is there for us to discover. So Lord, bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.